Uh, is this like, are we calling this the last, what do we call it? Like schools out edition or like the <laughs> last class before summer edition? It's, it's like the year round schooling last day of school. <laughs> yeah. Cause I'm pretty sure they only get July, August off or right. July. One of them anyway. Mm. But yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll go with that. School's out edition. Hey, it's episode 110 of Future Chat. We are here, our last episode before we go into our summer break. This is a tradition that we started last summer when I got married. And uh, it turns out, well, the three uh, intrepid hosts of this show are going to be on not necessarily vacations that last a month, but we're going to be doing various things. Apparently, Nick is already gone. Nick has checked out completely. Spending time with family, I guess, is is his excuse. But Mike, you wanted to spend your glorious uh, summer Sunday mornings just outside enjoying the foliage. Yeah, it's it's a nice time because living in Calgary, you don't get opportunities like that except for basically July and August. And even yeah. part of July for us has been a little bit rainy. So August tends to be a bit drier. So we're trying to trying to take advantage of the warm, warm, bright mornings and yeah, just kind of have that time. And then, you know, in the dreads of winter then you don't really care yeah it, the sun actually doesn't come up at <laughs> no, all <laughs> like pretty much not to like 11 in the morning yeah <laughs> yeah i noticed uh on the speaking of rain i noticed your giant hail last yes. night there was a huge hailstorm in calgary yeah and the hail that i had was actually fairly small compared to what others had like the other areas of the city got golf ball and even bigger than oh, golf wow. ball sized so yeah crazy mine was only large marble sized Right. Actually, probably bigger than that. What's yeah, it was like, well, it was just slightly smaller than a bottle cap. Yeah, it was like, even well, there are a couple of bigger in it. But yeah, it was about bottle cap to cherry sized, we'll call it. Right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I have a wedding. I'm surprised, actually, only one wedding. But this summer, I guess, is the, the beginning. I mean, last summer, I guess, was technically the beginning with my wedding. but And then a vacation. And then uh, I guess we're going camping. I haven't really, we haven't really talked about it, but it's in like three weeks, so... It just made the most sense to to take August off, refresh, recharge. I've been thinking. I've been thinking about um, now that we can now that we can actually talk openly about Hello Internet and Cortex. CGP Gray's Year of Less mm-hmm. has really kind of entered my mind, and trying to think about simplifying what I do and taking this August off, I think is going to be very beneficial towards that. I've been wanting to write more for myself and and do some other kind of things, and so that combined with these different vacations just make sense to to do away with August. But since we are, first of all, it's been a whole week since we last did an episode. And this this week had so much news. We probably shouldn't waste too much more time before getting into follow-up. I agree. Now, Mike, I want to start with obviously the most important follow-up. And that is the, the updates from the world of Pokemon. It's... As has been the theme the past couple of weeks. Yeah. <laughs> it, Elon Musk kind of got the, the backseat. This week's actually a bit different because we got a good balance. But um, yeah, Pokemon's been kind of at the, the forefront of everyone's awareness uh, since it came out what, officially a couple of weeks ago. But people have been playing it via APKs or, or US iTunes accounts and yeah. uh, and have had various opinions and, and kind of ways of playing. One of those being... Uh, using Pokemon locating websites uh, in lieu of tracking because the tracking 
feature of the app has been disabled for the past couple weeks. And the way that these sites worked was basically you go to a Google Maps style interface to select which location you want to scan. You click the location, you scan, and it shows you what Pokemon are around you. Mm -hmm. Like literally exact spots and how much time is left before they, they go away. So yeah, it's obviously easier to find Pokemon that way, but a lot of people found that that was better than not having uh, the ability to track Pokemon at all because that was a fairly key feature and actually an enjoyable feature to use yeah. uh, when it did work for that first week or two. And But pretty much I think the whole time it's been in Canada, the feature's been disabled, if yep. I remember correctly. So a lot of people don't even remember the last time it worked, but uh, <laughs> for those that do, they've uh, they've tried to use these, these PokeVision uh, type sites. So yeah, PokeVision being kind of the main site that offers this service. And last week, Niantic, the developers of the app Pokemon Go, uh, came out to say that these locating sites are not a good thing. They were not endorsing mm-hmm. them in any way. And some reports are saying that they just said that they were specifically going to shut them down or, you know, limit their effectiveness or whatever. Yeah. And turns out that at least as of this morning, if not yesterday, the PokeVision site, among others, have lost the ability to locate Pokemon. So mm-hmm. I don't know if it's just like cease and desist orders or active blocking of their tapping into whatever server that they're using to to generate yeah. these maps but uh they're they're all gone now like the sites mm-hmm. are there but they just have messages saying this is not working right now stay stay tuned um yeah so i, I don't know what's going to come of this like rob have you used these types of sites before i have looked at pokevision i've only ever really used it at a point in time when i couldn't see some first of all uh i don't know if it's just that ottawa is bad for pokemon but the only ones i ever see are ones i are have already caught 10 or 50 or 150 of and so they're not that useful to me but every time i've looked there hasn't been anything close enough that it would that it excites me enough to get outside and move more than 20 feet away and so i've looked at it but i haven't actually used it and it hasn't been that useful to me in looking at it right I had actually used, not used it, but I, like you, I checked, I think yesterday or a day or two ago, because there was a haunter that was showing up mm-hmm. on my nearby screen. So I was like, I wonder where it is. Like, how close is it? Cause yeah, if it was close enough, I might go out to get it. Right. Um, I, I was actually more curious if it actually was there because one of the issues with the tracking system with the nearby screen, mm-hmm. uh, since they disabled it was that it almost kept like a cache of yep. nearby Pokemon. Um, this actually happened to me about a week ago where my nearby screen was like filled with Pokemon. Like I was at home and normally there's like two Weedles near me, but this Mm -hmm. had like two Eevees, a Weedle, Caterpie, like, you know, whatever. It was a full nearby screen. So I'm like, oh sweet, I'm going to use like an incense. Right. And so I put my incense on and then I found too that closing and reopening the app will kind of trigger some Pokemon to spawn when you reopen. So I did that and sure enough, my nearby screen was empty. Like, yeah, like literally empty. empty. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, this is an excellent use of an incense. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, nearby screen. So, yeah. So when I checked PokeVision for this Haunter, again, just out of curiosity, there was nothing around me. There's, again, two Weedles. So 
I don't know if the haunter was there and then it despawned, but still showed up in the nearby screen as having, uh, being nearby. But the, uh, yeah, it, it wasn't anywhere to be seen from this PokeVision site. And right. I had also heard that these PokeVision type sites, they'll only show specific types of Pokemon that spawn. So I think when they're with lures or incense, they don't show up on these PokeVision sites because programmatically, programmatically, it's a different type of spawning. Yeah, it is. So these the, the server that these sites are tapping into don't host that same kind of information, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, aside from those issues, people did find a lot of benefit from these uh, Pokemon locating sites because the nearby feature wasn't working. I'm sure some would use it anyway, just because mm-hmm. it's easier and they find that fun and that's fine. Like I'm not, yeah. I'm not going to say they can't do it. I, I don't think that's fun, but, um, but yeah, I, I understand that without the, the tracking feature, then you don't really have much else to, mm. to use. But yeah, as of this weekend, those sites are not working. So people are either going to have to wander around aimlessly <laughs> or just, I don't know. That's, that, that's really all they can do now. If they're yeah. trying to look for a specific Pokemon, like, for me, when I use the app, I'm usually just going out on a walk and just seeing what spawns around me. I'm not tracking anything specific. Um, or, like, yeah, you know, walking here. through downtown, hitting Pokestops, catching Pokemon along the way. So I, up to this point, I haven't really had to track anything. Right. Um, when something interesting shows up on the screen, of, yeah, of course, I want to find where it is. But the one time I tried the tracking feature when it was working, actually, I tried it twice. The one, it was like a Jigglypuff, I think. And I think it had despawned by the time I got close to it. Okay. And then another time it was like an Abra and it was like right on the path I was on anyway. So it would have spawned in front of me mm-hmm. whether I was tracking it or not. Um, but that's just not how I ever used the app really. Yeah. It was for the tracking, but some do. And so I can, I can understand their distress at not having any option at all. Yeah. Uh, well, even on the, on the tracking thing, the latest update, that came in last night. Well, yesterday, last night, I noticed it on, on iOS last night. It, they have not only gotten like turned off the three footsteps feature, but it's actually gone from the visuals of the game now too. So the nearby screen looks totally different. You can't actually track an individual Pokemon to see if you're getting closer or further from it. And it's just a screen where nine seemingly random <laughs> nearby Pokemon show up. Yeah. And I have no indication that there is kind of any hierarchy as to whether if they appear higher in the list, any if they're actually closer anymore, if it's just nine that happened to be nearby. But it does kind of take away from any any kind of tracking or hunting ability. And yeah, I, I noticed the same thing you mentioned in the game where the nine that are nearby on the screen don't necessarily correspond to nine that are actually nearby at that moment because it does seem to keep a cache. And I've noticed if I go somewhere, not even my home, but like anywhere around town that it seems like there shouldn't be any around. If I force quit the app and open it again, almost exclusively, it will reset and there won't be nine anymore. Even if there are some, there won't, there'll be like three or four. The screen won't be full, but they'll kind of stay in memory. It'll be like the nine nearby where you were at some point, whether it's now or, or in the past. Well, they even accumulate. Like if you're going on yeah. a walk, it will yeah. like show one and then three and then five mm-hmm. and then nine. Yeah. 
but the f- the couple of them are from when you started your walk, and then right. there's some yeah. that are where you are now. So it's yeah, it's it's really dumb. Like I on Reddit, people talk about it a lot, and the one person said, "Oh, it's, it should be more like, oh, hey, look at these pictures of Pokemon, not yeah, like, exactly, not not a nearby <laughs> screen because they're not nearby anymore." So it's yeah, yeah, it's. Others have also speculated that they're just going to get rid of the tracking feature altogether, but <sighs> I don't think that's a good idea. Right. Like that, but you know, until they get their server upgrades or, or hire more people or whatever it is they need to keep the servers running with the, those features. Yeah. Um, it's just a matter of time before, before we see what they do, but I'd like to think that they'll turn it back on at some point. Yeah. I think and so reimplement too. the footsteps and, and whatnot. But I don't, I don't know. It's, I guess we, we don't have it in the, the notes this week, but I also read that Nintendo came out, um, a couple days after they released Pokemon, uh, go and they said that the app release won't have much effect on their revenue like their projected performance of stock market wise so they experienced a pretty big spike uh when it got it released because of the reception of it and then immediately after that news and it dropped again Um, not back to the same level but it it dropped a significant amount uh, after they said that it wouldn't have much effect so right i don't know if that's scaring away investors into like helping out Niantic with kind of getting their servers up to a point where they'll perform well. Right. But I can guarantee that after these PokeVision sites are down, like you're going to have a lot of people just not play anymore yeah. because that's that, that was what the enjoyment they had was hunting for these Pokemon. And now you can't do that in any sense of the word. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the, um, to give a bit of background on the Nintendo stock situation, it was, <laughs> the it, the stock went up the stock went up like crazy and like it doubled in value in like two weeks and then they were releasing their quarterly earnings and basically at that point you also have to give a forecast or get you typically giving investors some guidance as to what the next quarter is going to look like or the next year even some some companies go further out in advance and basically trying to calm investors from for future outlook they were saying listen we we do have a third uh stake in this game they are one of the investors in the game they're just not the only investors and the game isn't going to make like by nintendo standards nintendo's already a big company they're not gonna it's not gonna make that much money so they were basically trying to temper expectations for the like Yes, it will sacrifice some stock value in the short run, but in the long run, it would be much better than investors finding out three months from now that, oh, they didn't actually make very much money from this game and then the stock absolutely tanking. And so at this point, it went up like it almost doubled in value. It's now fallen back down about half of that gain, which which is would make sense. It fell a little bit slower than than it went up. And it's back at the value that it was in the fall of last year or summer of last year. It's it's almost exactly like August 3rd, um, 2015, it was at 22,000. Right now it's at 21,000. Like it's almost exactly where it was a year ago. But that's better. Like it it is still pretty high up compared to historical values. It's, yeah, Nintendo's fortunes have gone all over the place and the company's been around since like the, the late uh, 1800s when they were a trading card company. Like this is a long running company and this game isn't going to necessarily bank them or bust them, but it's, yeah, they're trying to keep expectations where that, where they think they should be as opposed to 
as opposed to just being like, listen, guys, um, we know you really want to buy this stock because we have this popular game out, but we're not going to make that much money on it. Like no company would just do that unless it was going to cost them later. If if this was just a one and done thing or if they weren't a public company, they probably wouldn't have said anything. But they're beholden to their investors. Yeah. So that that's almost I'm assuming that's what most companies try to do is kind of mm. underestimate. But I remember we've we've talked about in the past that Apple does the same thing, but investors now assume <laughs> that they're underestimating. So their expectation yeah. is actually above what the guidance is. So yeah. then when they perform what they said, it's like, what? What do you mean you only got that much? Because yeah. they're expecting him to exceed those those numbers. Yeah. So it's, Nintendo's in a position where I'm assu- I don't think they have that same sort of uh, reputation among investors. No. Um, so so hopefully this this guidance is helping them as a company so that they can kind of do better things uh, yeah. going forward. Um, I just as a side note on on the revenue side for this app, like mm-hmm. the app does have in app purchases that yeah, you can does. make, but for the most part, you can play for free without much friction right. or or hurdle. Um, the biggest thing is kind of like if you want to buy lucky eggs to double your XP, then yeah. then that's kind of a good thing to have. Um, and, and, you know, lures and incense, obviously, but the lucky eggs, I think is, is the biggest thing that you could mm-hmm. probably buy to, to make it worth your money kind of thing. Like lures and incense are good. The the thing that I like, like there, there are a couple different kinds of in-app purchases that, that game makers can use. And the most popular one is pay to win, right? Like with candy crush, you can pay for extra moves that will make mean you win a level you would have lost otherwise. Whereas with Pokemon, you can pay to play, but it won't necessarily make you, you still have to invest time in the game if you want to catch Pokemon, if you want to advance levels. A lucky egg will double your XP, but if you don't play, two times zero is still zero. Like you still have to play, you still have to go and catch Pokemon, you still have to evolve them, you still have to put that work in. Yeah. And so I, I like that all the incentives they've given are just things that will help you do better if you do play, but you still have to play. Yeah. And I hope they don't change their model where you know, because Pokesauce right now, they give you those items like mm. potions and Pokeballs and whatever, that they don't start making those, like reducing the amount of items they give. So you have to buy yeah. like items. Um, like I've already noticed that the Pokesauce are giving out a lot less Great Balls than they mm-hmm. used to. Um, and I barely get any Ultra Balls. Like it's, it's mostly the Pokeballs. And, yeah. you know, and each, each for those I don't know, like Pokemon... If the stronger ones, you'll need to use a better kind of Pokeball than than the basic one if if you want to have a better chance of catching it. Yeah. And yeah, in, in this case, like there's no option to buy the better ones. So I'm assuming at some point they'll let you buy better ones. And yep. and I, like I said, hopefully they don't make it so that you have to pay. Pay is free to play right now. Yeah, and you can pay to do better, but hopefully it's not like paying to play. Period. Like, yeah. hopefully you're not just wandering around aimlessly with nothing if you're not right. paying. And yeah. if if their financials don't work out, where they can't get advertisers and sponsors the way they're hoping to, because that's mm-hmm. one of their plans is to sell sponsored Pokestops well, and like and McDonald's just, in Japan. Yeah, I think I read that they already yeah. they're already doing that there. So. Yeah. Um, you know, they could put an ad before every time you engage a Pokemon, just have a splash ad on fill your screen, which would suck. Yeah. But it, even that, I'd rather have that than have to pay money up front, like for myself to right. be able to play. I, I think what they would do is that is using that model that they have 
like with Pokest, uh, sponsored Pokestops because that already brings in business. Like that brings people who are playing the game to your location. There was like, I, I was down at, uh, and we, we, we've seen stories about this going through the news all the time of, of businesses buying lures to get people to come down to their business. Like I was in Confederation Park in Ottawa earlier today and it's one of those spots one of those rare spots in a downtown core where you can have three pokestops that you can if you stand in the right spot or sit in the right spot you can actually access all three at all times and those things apparently this is this is from talking to someone in the in confederation park yesterday apparently they're lured literally 24 7 and like there's an ice cream shop uh like a little truck that was just parked there and Although it wasn't that hot yesterday, and so I didn't actually see a single person patronize this ice cream store. Um, it's I've heard that's a great business model in that you can basically pay $2 an hour and have a steady stream of people at least showing up. And if if you have a, a thing they want to buy, then they're going to go and do it because they can sit there and play Pokemon the entire time. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're basically paying for foot traffic and yeah. businesses... Yeah pick locations based on the amount of foot traffic exactly just exposure to people's awareness that they're there mm-hmm. even if it's like even if they don't buy something that moment they'll remember oh yeah there's that ice cream truck that always stops there or oh there's right. that restaurant on that corner mm-hmm. if but if people don't know you're there then you have no hope of of even people going in there so the first step is getting people in front of you and that's what that's what these do and on the, all the facebook pokemon groups um People say, oh, do you, does anyone know what bars have lures set up? Oh, does anyone know yeah, what bars yeah. or Pokestops or gyms? Like people look, you know, it's, it's a small demographic granted, mm-hmm. but there's still a non-insignificant number of people looking for businesses that, you know, have these things that they're looking for. So yeah. it's, it's, yeah, like you said, it's, it's a really good business model. And it's a no brainer as far as an investment is concerned, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking before we, before we move on, I just wanted to, to talk because Apple did actually release earnings as well this past week and they were lower than last year, but they were higher than they had a little bit higher than they had said they were going to be. And so contrary to past quarters where Apple released kind of not as good as they thought or as good as investors thought earnings, this time they released slightly worse than last year, but better than they were expecting than investors were expecting earnings. And so the stock went up like 2% or something just on the thought that, Hey, it's, it's slightly better. And now all the stories are basically that 2015, every financial quarter in 2015 for Apple was an anomaly because they <laughs> came out the, the iPhone. No, no, no. Listen. So because okay. the iPhone really was released in China in 2015, Every quarter just had this giant boost in it. And if you go and look at the earnings, but remove 2015 completely, it's a perfect trend line. And every quarter in 2015 is correspondingly higher. And so in theory, it's, it is leveling off. Like it's not, it's not linear growth still in 2016, but it's still high. Like every quarter has been higher than it was in 2014. Right. By the same margin. And there's a gap there where 2015 numbers should have been like if if everything was linear, but right. It was just this massive China quarter. And so investors are actually seeing that. And like Apple has become a a stock that people are buying again. Whereas like basically it's back. Apple's stock took a tank after the last earnings call back in April. And it's basically back to where it was at that point now, right before that earnings call, because people are back. Everyone who kind of was off the ship is now back on board with boat. 
truck wagon whatever <laughs> whatever metaphor of transportation you want to use people who had who had left were back i don't i don't think we talked about carl Icahn selling all his shares before yep. i don't think he's back on on yet but uh the majority of investors are, are right back there so yeah well i guess we'll leave is there anything else we wanted to say on on pokemon there there are a couple of updates i don't know you said that the low battery mode is still there on android but it's gone on ios yeah this is the feature that would let you turn your phone upside down in pokemon and the screen would go black saving theoretically saving some battery power whether or not that happens with lcd is questionable i think that might be why they didn't do it on ios because with led screens or quote-unquote regular lcd led screens there's no actual battery savings uh, just because the screen is black, it would have to be lower brightness in order for that to change. Whereas on OLED displays, which the majority of Android phones have, it only, if you have a black screen, it only lights up the pixels that are colored. And so there is, I don't know if, if it's the same on Android as it is on iOS, but there's little kind of faint Pokemon Go logo in, in black and white when you okay. turn the phone upside down. Okay. And so that actually would give substantial battery savings, but I don't think the iOS version is the same just because of the screen. So that's my theory for why they didn't, uh, like the, why they left it in Android, but removed it from iOS because it actually doesn't really make a difference. The only thing it would make a difference, uh, in is actually interacting with the screen. So if you have the phone upside down in your pocket, you're not going to accidentally trigger something. If you have the, the app open, if it's on low, if it's on the screens, just black, but it's it's interesting because it has that it does have the perception whether or not it actually lowers your battery. It has the perception of lowering your battery. It has the perception of saving it. And so now I'm going to think twice before putting it in my bag when I go biking or in my pocket when I'm walking because it's just, I know the screen's just going to be the same. And that's just kind of a weird psychological thing to me more than more than actual change in functionality. But I don't know. I don't know how other people feel about it. Yeah, I've never used the battery saver mm-hmm. uh, function. Um, Do you have it on? No. Okay. Like, I saw it when I first opened the app. I'm like, what the heck is that? I don't know what it is, so I just didn't click it. Right. Um, and then when you guys started talking about how, how you're able to put it in your pocket when the screen turns off, it's like, oh, that's a good idea. Um, related to that, the Pokemon Go Plus band that they're yeah, going to yeah. release originally it was targeted for end of July to be released mm-hmm. for, for sale. And now it's September. Right. So I'm, I'm assuming that's to meet demand because <laughs> there's going to be yeah. a lot of people that want to <laughs> buy it. Uh, I guess Best Buy and a couple other stores had pre-order sales a while back okay. that I wasn't aware of, but they're sold out of those. So hopefully they have another pre-order sale. Yeah, hopefully. Um, if Niantic or Nintendo, whoever is manufacturing it is, is going to release more, uh, release more stock and inventory to these stores yeah but yeah so the the remaining follow-up all has to do with elon musk and this week and there's actually like like you mentioned we keep bringing up stories that are tangentially related to the topics we're talking about but not directly there there's so much stuff that happened with both tesla and a little bit spacex this week that we can't even like there's nothing in the notes about tesla having a, an official launch event for the gigafactory but that happened a couple of days ago like i went and watched the, the youtube video it's actually hilarious to me how such a big popular company hosted such a 
objectively shitty launch event. Like it was, <laughs> it was like not well lit. It was not gr- like there was was one camera on them. Uh, it seemed like a pretty small crowd. The crowd was like almost heckling them, like heckling in a positive way. But they were like, it was like an uh, improv comedy show or something where like people were like shouting stuff out. It was just, it was bizarre. Huh. And it, so Tesla has been facing, um, they've been facing an investigation, I guess, from the National Highway Transport Security Association, <laughs> whatever it is in the States. It's NHSTA or TSA or something. Okay. Um, I was just backfilling the acronym as I went. Uh, they've been facing an investigation after a couple of crashes to do with uh, the autopilot and Tesla. And really, as it's turned out, as the news kind of churned, the only thing that really seems like it was autopilot's quote unquote fault, as much as you can be at fault for something that you're, you're legally like binding uh, agreement says that you have to be paying attention the entire time. Um, so this, this one Tesla crashed, it hit a semi that it was supposed to have seen that apparently there was a thing how the vision system got confused. Um, I was reading about how the technology involved in making sure that a car keeps driving safely when it can, but does avoid collisions means that it basically to a certain extent has to rely on the driver paying attention because there are so many different things that in theory should be registered as obstacles or things to be aware of and should like cause the car to emergency brake, but don't like things like overhead signs. I can imagine it would be so hard to distinguish between a sign that's overhead and like a high semi truck that you're behind. There's just a lot of similarities and it's basically just the amount of height, the distance it is. And so like it's a combination of radar and visual systems that would have to combine in order to make this vision system work. And they're basically saying that it wasn't a failure of autopilot itself that caused this crash, that it's much more likely, this is Tesla saying this, that it's much more likely that it was actually the braking system that failed to recognize the, the semi and brake. And so theoretically, the autopilot, this system that's in beta, wasn't actually at fault. And if it had been if everything had been working totally optimally, not, not that there was a bug or anything, but if every, if the braking system was working the way you would think an objectively perfect braking system, emergency braking system would work, it would have braked in time. And that was the issue that actually caused this crash. It wasn't autopilot. Like autopilot isn't designed to, for instance, swerve around when there's a semi right in front of it or a couple hundred meters or whatever in front of it. That would be the braking system that's supposed to to take over at that point. And that was why they were saying that it got confused between the, the white of a semi versus the, the clear sky, whether it was blue or whether it was overcast and cloudy and, and it was a white sky. But that the problem was with the braking and not with the autopilot. Um, Does that make it better? I, it doesn't make it better, but I don't think like the whole point of an emergency braking system, an automated braking system is that it is there to help you out. It is not there to guarantee that you don't hit anything. It, it can't guarantee you don't hit anything. Right. What if something, what if a child jumps out into the middle of the street when you're yeah. going quickly? Like it, if it can't stop in time, it can't stop in time. It, it has right. to still be the driver's responsibility to stop, but it's assistive braking. It's helping to anything it can see, it stops. So I don't think it's better or worse. I just think that it's kind of an interesting thought that 
we think of like at least i think of self-driving cars as having one self-driving system but really it's a whole bunch of different things all working together I'd like kind of like an athlete running if you break your ankle it's not that the your body stops working it's that there's one weak spot and everything else kind of crumbles after that falls apart and so there, if there's a failure in the automatic braking system and there's some kind of uh some kind of circumstance that allows for total failure of the system like hitting a semi then that entire system is going to fail. It's just, but it was just one portion that didn't do its job perfectly. And yeah, he was saying in his, in the Gigafactory that there's over a million people die every year in car accidents. And if Tesla can make that safer, even slightly safer, then it's a win overall. Yeah. And they can't really sit there and moralize and, go like obviously they'll go through um ethics considerations and moral considerations but you can't sit there twiddling your thumbs until self-driving cars don't kill anybody because the system is already better than human drivers at least as far as we've seen yeah and the tricky thing and maybe the deck is stacked against them in this sense Mm -hmm. where yeah there's vehicle accidents but in essence a hundred percent of those are at the fault of the person driving like right. usually it's not the braking system failing. Mm-hmm. It's not the steering it, system well, failing. Like it's, it's people just being dumb or, you know, right. weather conditions, whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not specific to the car. Whereas with Tesla, these cars, like the yeah, other systems save people, but mm-hmm. you don't hear about those, but their systems right. so far have been questionable in their effectiveness in preventing accidents in these types of cases where it's like, Oh, well the whatever system failed or, it should have enacted here, whatever. So the blame is being placed on the car versus the fact that potentially this, you know, allegedly this guy was watching a DVD and not paying attention while driving. So if it was any other vehicle, it'd have been like an idiot was driving down the street, watching a DVD and didn't see the semi. Exactly. Here it's like, Oh, the car didn't enact whatever. So why didn't that happen? It's like, Mm. we're missing the whole point here. Like that, you know, if you're still, being a responsible driver this system works Mm -hmm. but it can't like you said it can't save you in all cases if if one part of the system fails but it's it's the fact that in any case of an accident it's like well was the car at fault whereas Mm -hmm. i don't think that same kind of question comes up when it's just your everyday accident yeah well and when um like there have been a couple of high profile cases there's the the actor in star wars uh who was killed by his car. Basically like the car ran him over his car ran him over because he thought it was in park and it wasn't in park because of the way that the um, gear shifter is set up in the car. Like it's very, it like I've seen a picture of it and maybe I'll put a picture in links if I can, in, if I can find one uh, it's very confusing as to what gear you're actually in. And it, yeah, it's totally unclear. There was the the thing back when uh, a few years ago with the I think it was Toyota, they had a couple of cars where the braking system failed. Yeah. So like you could either you could stamp on the brake and it wouldn't work, or like it was something to either the accelerator or the brake. I can't even. It was remember the accelerator anymore. that it it would accelerate you uncontrollably. Yeah, like you'd yeah. get it would get stuck and it would you'd be unable to brake hard enough yeah. or successfully enough to stop and people lost their lives that way like that is a very different problem than what tesla has had so far there haven't been 
any confirmed reports of Tesla's taking over control, like taking control away from a driver that wasn't intentional. Like, obviously, if that happens in your Toyota, you don't want that. That's unintentional. We haven't seen anything even remotely close to that. And that's the kind of thing where Toyota was basically trying to hide this until it was a big enough problem that they couldn't ignore it. Whereas Tesla has proactively come out and said, we're giving all this information to the government, to the, the traffic control board, the highway safety control. We're getting out ahead of this and regulators and insurers are actually seeing this. Like I was reading an article earlier this week about how regulators are actually very positive on self-driving cars and very positive on Silicon Valley's efforts to improve self-driving and that it will hasten uh, the actual kind of implementation of these systems on the roads, even if they aren't 100% perfect, acknowledging that the fact that they are better than human drivers and so that we should adopt, like we're actually going to save more lives the faster we adopt this. And that the, the last hundred years or so, will be seen as an anomaly where you could get into some vehicle that you could basically drive as fast as you wanted and could cause damage, could kill yourself, could destroy property, could kill other people. We'll we'll see this short period between like basically horses and carriages and then self-driving cars. We'll see this car period as like, what were we thinking? Having people have control over these massive machines that can go super fast and like human attention spans are not good enough for long enough to be able to pay attention during an entire car trip. And if, if the road was a little more, a little more, slightly more chaotic than it is, I think we would see so many more crashes because the only reason we're all staying alive is because there's not that much unpredictable going on on roads. Basically anytime anything unpredictable happens, there is some kind of accident, whether it's a high speed crash or whether it's just a low speed kind of fender bender. That's what happens when something unpredictable happens there's a high likelihood that there will be some yeah. kind of collision. I was actually driving down Deerfoot yesterday or two days ago, I think two days ago. And in the middle of the road, like in the center mm-hmm. lane, there is a bike, like a tip, like a bike on its side in the middle of the lane that had obviously fallen off of either a car or a RV trailer type thing. Yeah. But like cars are having to like, move over and dodge this bike that was in the middle lane. And I'm like, that's going to cause an accident. And yeah. thankfully I was in like a different lane, but yeah, if I was in, I was thinking like, if I was on that lane, like how would I avoid that? Like you'd, you'd have to try to swerve around it, but you'd have to like make sure there are no other cars like to your side. Right. Or like if you saw it up ahead and like far enough, like you'd slow down and, and you know, like if it was right in front of me, like in my lane, I would have seen it as I'm driving and looking up ahead. I'm like, okay, I have to like slow down and stop like for this stupid bike in the middle. But yeah, when you have a self-driving car, yeah. it would, in theory, see that at the same time, if not earlier than you would, and be able to kind of know how to yeah. handle it. And if, like we've said before, if all the cars were self-driving, then the car behind me would see me start to slow down again before the person probably would, and be able to kind of respond accordingly to that. So, right, I think that's like you know, if if everyone's able to kind of have the control taken out of their hands, then I think it makes it safer for everyone. Yeah. The, yeah, this, uh, I'm going to post, I'll post a link to an article about the, the gear shifter. But if you look at the, the thing I just posted, it's a picture of the, like, it's, 
it's all electronic. So there's no actual, you don't slot the gear shifter into a position to have it be in a certain gear. It's just one thing where you tap it forward and it will, it will switch to the next thing. And it's all like, it's all visual and electronic. There's no physical feedback of whether you're in the right gear or not. Hmm. And they, this, this whole design was, has been recalled now or is hmm. in the process of being recalled. It's just not good design. And it, it unfortunately caused this, this one tragic celebrity death, but this is like, it's a dangerous thing no matter what, because you can't, you can't visually see, like when you turn the car off, you can't actually see what gear you're in because it's all electronic. You can't like, apparently he got out of the car and then it started rolling and, and pinned him against a, against something. I don't know exactly what, but that was how it killed him. And it's just, yeah, it's not, not good design at all. Mm. So, Tesla news, there's a little bit more. Uh, I don't want to necessarily dwell too long on it, but apparently in wake of all these things, uh, Tesla had been using a visual system for their their autopilot for, for their other self-driving features uh, called Mobileye, I believe it was. And there's news now this week that they are moving away from Mobileye and building their own self-driving visual system. Uh, I thought this was interesting mostly because uh, I've been reading about or I've seen a few articles in the last year or so about this uh, this coding phenom, this hacker who was actually responsible for one of the first iPhone jailbreaks. His name was George Hotz, and he came out last year around last year when autopilot was was getting big, saying he'd built his own self-driving car system, like just him in a garage hooked up to a regular car. Mm. and like the the person that wrote the article took a, went on a test drive with him and was like it was as advanced if not more advanced than autopilot and it was just him and so at the time that this that this came out uh this news came out they went and asked him about th- what they thought about tesla doing its own thing and he basically said yeah what they're doing what mobile i had been doing is super easy like i was able to do it myself in my garage tesla's engineers like they have thousands of engineers they shouldn't have any problem coming up with something that's at least as good as that hmm. and like basically throwing massive shade at this visual um this visual self-driving company right but i thought it was so interesting because it that seems like it should be one of the hardest parts of building a self-driving car but uh, apparently it's not the seeing part that's hard it's coding the computer to interpret that vision yeah. and go through all the possible edge cases and all the things that can go wrong. That that's actually the hard part. Yeah. I, I know we've said before, but there's, there's a joke about how people's idea of AI is a bunch of nested conditional statements yeah, because it's true. I, I, I don't know if that's actually how they program these AI mm-hmm. systems, but I can imagine that if that is the route you're trying to go, it'd be ridiculous to try to make your system robust yeah. If it's like, okay, if you see this, then do this. If you see this, then do this. If it's not this, then do this. Like yeah. that's, that's, that's how programming generally works is conditional type stuff. But mm-hmm. if, uh, if your whole system is based around trying to come up with every single possible case and having a reaction for that, mm-hmm. that, that, that's not an intelligent system. That's, right. that's a robot. That, and, it, well, that sounds like the process that a human brain would use because a human brain can work so quickly and is kind of, it can kind of plasticize itself in order to find an opt like to once it finds an optimal solution to like make that a faster pathway. But that's why you need, that's why we have neural networks. That's what 
Google and other companies, AI companies have been trying to design is neural networks that are able to adapt and like build nodes to create shortcuts through these things. Whereas a computer program that's rigid and programmed, if it has to go through thousands or tens of thousands of nested if statements in order to figure out what's going on, that's going to take a lot of time and it's going to cause problems. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing is people, we, yeah, a lot of it is learned behavior with mm-hmm. having, if, you know, that type of thought process and committing it to memory and just practicing it to become faster. But a lot of it too is instinct. Like just, yeah. if you try to poke someone's eye, they're going to blink and they're going to like dodge out of the way. They're not going to be like, oh, there's a finger coming towards my eye. I should probably <laughs> move my head so I don't get poked. Like it's just yeah. a natural reaction. And that's ideally what an artificial intelligent artificially intelligent system should be able to do as well is just like just naturally behave a certain way under certain circumstances yeah uh i'm gonna put a link to the this george hot self-driving thing too because i think it's super interesting and he's just like he worked for i think it was either apple or facebook he worked for some big tech company for a while and then kind of disappeared off the map and then came back last year in may with uh with this whole self-driving thing there's when i when i looked up his name just now there's actually a piece on the verge from june 6th of this year where he's now started a company or a self-driving company uh self-driving car company that has a thousand dollar kit to make your car self-driving and i haven't i haven't read this and i'm not going to read it now but it's kind of crazy to think that he's like he he's obviously a technological genius like this is like tony stark level stuff that he is doing and he's basically doing it all himself uh now that he has a company that he's founded he's probably got other employees and other stuff going on but his ability if it doesn't match like i'm not sure what elon musk's actual engineering prowess is or if he's more of a steve jobs kind of he doesn't have a lot of technical skill but he kind of has a lot of great ideas and knows how to talk to engineers to help implement them right but george hotz really seems like very hands-on very deep understanding of technical things he was able to find bugs in Apple's code that nobody else could, like no teams of people really could. And it took years before jailbreaks started to become more common. And he was just basically like tinkering around in his spare time and while, like while he was going to middle school, like he's not, he's not an old guy. He's much younger than us. And it's just, it's crazy. Hmm. So yeah, I'll, I'll put a link to that in, in the notes. Um, the last thing I wanted to say is just a, a couple of numbers from Tesla's Gigafactory because it, it left my mind and it, cause it was just from a video I watched, but well, it, it was from this launch uh, video for Gigafactory. Apparently they were saying that in t- that the numbers they had for 2014, which were the last numbers for total lithium ion battery production were 30, uh, gigahertz, gigahertz, gigawatts, 30 gigawatts of electrical like of battery capacity produced in across the earth. And that by 2018, they were looking to have 50 gigawatts at this one Tesla facility. And famously it's the, the, the factory or the building with the largest footprint of any building so far. Apparently once it's completed, it'll have enough to house almost a hundred, uh, 747s. Like it's just this massive building and Tesla, their factory in California already is the building with the biggest footprint ever, but they're making just, it's the, it, it's unbelievable how big the scope of this building is. And they're looking to by 2020 or something, they're looking to triple the total uh, output. 
to 150 gigawatts. And I, I can't even like you can't imagine how big that is. It looking to make 1.5 million electric cars per year. All I can think about is how is there that much lithium on the earth? Right. Like if, if people aren't already doing this, like how are like other car companies make millions of cars a year? Where are they getting these raw materials from to or like where and where are they putting these factories? Like, do they have thousands of factories around the world to make this? Or are we or do they have pretty big buildings in a few small places that we're not really hearing about? Like you when you think of a car factory, you tend to think like I tend to think Honda has like one or two factories where they make cars. But that they can't be the case. There there's millions right. of cars coming out and they're huge. Like Right. I know like a lot of these factories, they'll have different stages of the manufacturing process in different parts. So mm-hmm. there'll be, you know, the, yeah, the ore will be smelted wherever and right. fabricated into the sheets of whatever. And then at whatever point they'll get to the states to be assembled. Yeah. Right. So it's not the entire process that takes place under the one roof. Right. So they're, they're moving all these parts around the world. And yeah, like with lithium or whatever other ore you might be needing, it's cheaper and makes more sense to do any manufacturing closer to where you're getting it from. Sure. Right. Like, so, um, yeah, I, I don't know what their logistics kind of system looks like, but right. I'm, I'm sure it's not all going to take place in that one, that one yeah. factory. They, here's the thing. This is the, I'm glad you triggered that in my memory because like, this is only a 15 minute video. This, this launch event I'm sure was longer than that, but the actual presentation from Elon was only 15 minutes and they talk about vertical integration. So they actually are doing all the stuff. Like apparently this entire building, I, I don't know how much uh, AutoCAD you do if, if any in your job, but apparently this entire building has all been built in CAD. Okay. So everything, and there's like, there's no wasted space inside this factory. Right. And they, they actually went through and described the vertical integration that goes into this factory there are three, they describe this as there, there are three steps in the process. There's the raw material input. So the raw material goes into the factory. Step two is a bunch of stuff happens. That's actually what's written on the slide. A bunch <laughs> of stuff happens. And then the third step is cars come out, finished goods output. And it's just all the stuff like this, this footprint huh. of the building is amazing. And it's, it's huge. It actually is going to have all the raw materials going in. Hmm. building of a car and then a car rolls out the other side right so and they do they describe it as typical factories you think of are basically copying machines where you put the design for something in and then you build copies of that but this is much more than like it's an entirely new kind of factory in that it's designed to do all the stuff inside one building and i think the ideal the goal is to have it be 100% 100% renewable energy like they're going to have solar panels on top that the building itself is going to run itself on energy it generates there and because the goal of Tesla is to have like a sustainable process going on and to have everything powered by renewable energy like they're trying to use electricity they're trying to use solar that's their eventual goal so having this all happen in one building that is self-powered is like is the ultimate goal i just think and to be doing this in the States, like it's he, like Elon Musk is South African. He's not, he's not even American, but he's like doing this so much better than other 
American companies founded by American people are actually doing. It's, it's kind of amazing to see. Hmm. But uh, yeah, so I would recommend I'll, I'll put a link to the video if you want to watch it. I encourage you to watch it because it is it's it's funny. We talked, I think, last time when they did the Tesla three launch event about how Elon Musk isn't a great speaker. He has really good ideas, but he's not like he's very kind of jerky in his speaking. Use a lot of ums, just like stops talking for a couple seconds a lot. But what he's saying is super interesting. And I right. I really enjoy watching the presentations even if they're not like they're not as polished as you'd see as as like google io or or wwdc but it's still really interesting to to see his process and and the way tesla goes about things Mm -hmm. all right mike we made it to almost an hour we got through follow-up uh we should probably talk about genetically modified organisms and then yes. maybe see where we are. Okay. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's interesting because we for a while we talked about Soylent when mm-hmm. it was kind of new and exciting. And I think the three of us have been using it in some capacity. And yep. uh, they actually recently came out with version 1.6 of their formula. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think we actually mentioned that on the show yet. But they they came maybe. out with they came out with a uh, a revised formula for their powder blend. That's supposed to be closer to their uh, liquid bottled blend. Yeah. And I haven't tried it yet. I'm, that'll be my next order is 1.6, I guess. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. They, they re- re- randomly kind of send these, I don't even call them marketing emails, but more educational emails mm-hmm. on their products. They're, they're marketing, whatever. but they're, they're, they're marketing, but they're not, not like, hey, marketing. buy your stuff. Yeah. Brand marketing. Yeah. So, so the latest one was actually a bit more of a PSA. Mm-hmm. And, uh, is a very scientifically inclined PSA on genetically modified organisms. And the gist of it was, you know, there's a lot of talk about GMOs, uh, you know, that they're good, that they're bad. And they're kind of taking the firm stance that they're quote unquote, proudly uh, made with GMOs. And they go on in the, the email to talk about the, what, what it, GMO is, you know, how they've been used over history, you know, the difference between different types of genetically, genetic modification and whatnot. So it was a really interesting email, especially coming from like a company mm-hmm. to kind of just come out and, and say this kind of thing, because people look at something like Solon and say, oh, that's a bunch of, you know, processed, blah, 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 blah. Like it's not yeah. natural, whatever. It's like, well, do you know what natural means? Do you know, like, you know, what GMO means, you mm-hmm. know? maybe t- learn a bit more and kind of understand what the benefits of genetic modification are. And, and that was kind of the, the conclusion was, you know, GM genetic modification has gone a long way and has a lot of benefit. It solves a bunch of problems that we have. Um, so yeah, you know, eating quote unquote natural is good, but there's nothing inherently worse about genetically, genetically modified, uh, products. So, right. um, I thought it was a really good thing. I encourage everyone to to read it. it you know, they cite all their sources. Mm-hmm. Um, I have yeah, clicked that was on my them, but part. There, there, there's a ton of hyperlinks in there with with very in depth source material. So it's yeah. not just a bunch of like buzzwords and whatever. They're actually backing mm-hmm. up what they're saying. Um, and uh, and yeah, I you know I I when people I I drink Soylent at work, and so when my boss walks by and he's like, oh, that looks disgusting, and I say, well. It's, 
it's not bad. Like it looks know, like milk. What do you think yeah. is disgusting about it? <laughs> it's. I I almost think they could try to go a bit more in making it look more conventionally appealing. Like even having it like chocolate colored, like not even chocolate flavor. It's just more of like a brown than like just an off colored beige. Okay. How is brown, like, I, I don't disagree with your th- premise, but how is brown better than, like, green, for instance, or... I, that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying green. Green green wouldn't be good. No, gr- brown... I think green would be more conventionally uh... healthy looking as opposed to brown. Brown is, like, poop. No, brown <laughs> is like a chocolate shake. <laughs> I mean, no, but it wouldn't taste like chocolate. No, but only you would know that, but at least it would look like just... <laughs> this br- seems like something sludge. you should be doing. I don't think this is a good marketing strategy for Soylent. No, but it's still healthy and is good, but I'm just saying people's reaction when they see it is like, oh, that looks... Like, usually you don't drink just beige beverages. It looks like milk. It doesn't look like... Well, the, the, the liquid one does, yeah. Right. The, the powdered one is more brown. The powder one is, yeah, it's like taupe beige. It, yeah. It's like vanilla milk, but like not, not just vanilla in flavor, but vanilla in color. Yeah. Like it's, it's more yellowy kind of light brown. I, I don't know what the answer is. I personally had no preconceived notions about what a, a health drink should look like. I don't know what boost looks like. I don't know what insure looks like, but I think they look almost identical to this. I don't, but you don't see it when you drink it. Right. You drink it out of a bottle. Right. And I guess now Soylent comes in the bottle. So Mm -hmm. a lot of people use that as well. But yeah, when you're making it with the, with the powdered mix and, and you drink it in a clear glass and you can see it in also glory. So (laughs) that's fine. Yeah. Um, so what, what what are your thoughts on this? We've talked about GMOs a lot on this show. So this isn't news per se as far as Mm -hmm. the pros and cons of it. And I don't think it's worth getting into it because we've covered it before. I think we even did a whole episode on it. Um, uh, if not it, then the issues surrounding GMOs. Maybe yeah. we did. I feel like we maybe did we do did a whole genetic on it. modification or something. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's good, and we're starting to see companies that actually like. There are obviously lots of companies saying we have no GMO ingredients, and it's good to see, if not big companies, if not well-known companies, at least publicly visible and kind of forward thinking companies coming out and saying, yes, our products do have genetically modified organisms and we're not worried about that fact because they're proven safe. Yeah. And it it just seems so bizarre. Like if you, if people thought that genetically modifying organisms, period, no matter how you do it, if people thought that, I don't know, does it poison your food? Does it give you like there? There's always this buzzwordy toxin that people are worried about. Do they think that GMOs have toxins in them? Like, what do they think is so unhealthy about food that happens to have been genetically modified? I don't think anybody is going around like, we're not shooting plants with a laser or animals with lasers trying to, like ionizing radiation lasers, trying to to just randomly see what happens and eat whatever comes out. Like, the food still has to go through safety regulation, has to go through... uh all kinds of administration to actually be sold on the market. And this food has Soylent has, there's no, there's no health issue that arises just from a food having been genetically modified. We talked in that, that episode about how like fruit, all kinds of agriculture, 
is specifically because of humans genetically modifying organisms over millennia. It's not, it's not a new thing. The only thing that's different about how we're doing it now is it's more targeted. We're trying to add specific traits and we're not saying like, I don't think you're trying to say that genetically modifying an organism is perfect or oh, that no. yeah. it, there aren't ways it could be done wrong or in a dangerous way. Yeah. But just the process of genetically modifying something doesn't make it bad. Yeah. Well, and that's why I said it's not inherently yeah. bad just because mm-hmm. it's, it's a GMO. Um, and yeah, like it's a huge issue with, you know, being organic or fat free or sugar free. Like all these things are stuff that brands use to sell their product. You have jelly beans that say fat free. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay. Yes. What's your point? That's good to know. Like, but it's, but that works. People look at them and be like, oh, yeah. sweet. They're fat free. Like, but, yeah. Right. Or, or organic. It's like, that's like, there's certified organic, but again, like, as far as I know, there's nothing inherently better about something being organic. Right. Like it's, it's fine if you want to eat organic stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It might, it's sure it, it might be grown with no pesticides on it, right. but the pesticides and whatever that are used on fruits at the grocery store, they're, they're, they wouldn't be used if they weren't yeah. safe. Right. They, like, yeah, there are organic uh, pesticides just for the record. <laughs> well, there you go. So, <laughs> so in, in that case, then that's not even a guarantee yeah. that there aren't. There aren't pesticides used, right? Yeah. There, so. one of my uh, one of my friends in school ended up working for a couple of years for Health Canada, doing regulation of organic pesticides and like what you can use on a crop to have it still called organic. And like you can use all kinds of chemicals; they're just mm. natural, more organic <laughs> natural chemicals. chemicals. <laughs> the word organic <laughs> means nothing. The word natural means nothing. Yeah, all these things came from Earth. We're not like. We're not using cosmic rays from space to kind of sterilize our vegetation. Like that's not a thing. Yeah. Everything uses chemicals. Even your plants are made of chemicals. It's uh, yeah. By the way, I feel like hopefully most of our listeners are aware of this, but when jelly beans say fat free, that's a hundred percent true and a hundred percent meaningless because if it said a hundred percent sugar, you would go, Oh, that's bad for you. But when you see fat free, you're like, oh, that's good. We should eat these ones because these <laughs> ones are fat free as opposed to all those other fatty jelly beans. Yeah. So. Oh, God. But yeah. So, yeah. so that, that, that was one kind of GMO themed thing. And, mm-hmm. and another thing that came across my, my news feed was an update on Dolly the sheep. I don't know if. Well, I, I, I know I was, I was in elementary school, I think, when Dolly the like sheep. That elementary junior high when the whole dolly the sheep thing uh was in the news about the cloned the the sheep that was getting cloned so they they cloned the genes and then grew the cloned sheep from birth so it's not Mm. like there's like a cloning machine that just copied the sheep and reassembled it somewhere else as a duplicate but that would be cool that would be cool and i think (laughs) when i first heard about cloning i'm like wow like it's like oh that's not actually what it is it's just regular just birthing but yeah um yeah, so they they did kind of like a health check on Dolly's offspring, I guess yeah. is the best way to call it, the cloned mm-hmm. offspring. And they're all healthy. Like they're as healthy as you'd expect any other sheep of that age to be. Yep. Um I believe let me just look at it. I think it was Dolly herself or just other uh cloned animals will sometimes have like health defects 
um, and such. But I guess these these sheep that were cloned by Dolly or cloned from Dolly's mm-hmm. uh, genes, they are yeah perfectly healthy and 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 cloning itself has been used for a while, right? Um, in a lot of different uh, industries and such. Uh, for various purposes, and there, there's a whole kind of like Q and A thing here. That was actually pretty interesting. The the site that it came from, ResearchGate. I'm not actually as familiar with that site, but okay. it, it's not like a nature news type site. It doesn't right. look like. Um, but uh, yeah, there's an interesting Q and A here that kind of talks about like what is cloning, why is cloning used, uh, what's the purpose of this research, whatnot. So I'd mm. encourage everyone to kind of read it, just kind of as a as an FYI. But um, yeah, it's it's good to know that. You know, cloning is kind of another one of those things similar to GMOs where it's like, oh, well, cloning's bad and it's not natural, whatever. But cloning can go a long way when you're wanting to kind of do a lot of farming or, you know, animal production, whatever, mm-hmm. with genes that are healthy and, you know, have the types of traits that you're looking for in your crop or your your herd or whatever it is. Yeah. And, and yeah, it's for the benefit of the people eating or using those products. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there's a lot of concern about, or at least there was, I don't know how much there still is. Hopefully there will be less after we see that the cloned animals turned out totally fine. Um, when we talk about, we talked about Svalbard, the seed vault up in the North Atlantic, possibly even the, the Arctic Ocean. Um, we can keep seeds. We can keep plant seeds just separate. And those are basically, those will grow clones of plants. But we can't really keep, like we kind of can, but you can't really freeze embryos to reproduce an organism, like a, a an animal later down the road, at least not in this, with the same kind of ease that you can with a seed. And so the whole point of ha- of keeping like a seed bank, for instance, is if some kind of disaster wipes out a species of corn or a species of wheat and we or a species of banana like is actually happening, there's no way to get that back once it's gone. Just like if a species like the dodo goes extinct, there's no way to go and get more dodo seeds and hatch them. But with cloning it makes it at least slightly more plausible to be able to do that. And if there are things that die out, or if there are species that are important to human survival or important to survival of the earth that start to die out, we want to have at least some kind of method, even if it's a last resort, we want to have a method to be able to keep lineage going. And this was a big first step. It was kind of like, we haven't really heard much about cloning since Dolly. But I assume the research on it hasn't stopped. Like there are a lot of ethical questions that are raised every time that comes up. But I don't know. Have you heard about anything about cloning since basically since Dolly or other than Dolly? Yeah. So in the Q&A on the site, one of the questions asked was for what purposes are animals cloned today? Mm -hmm. And uh, the answer was predominantly for research to further develop and refine procedures and assess animal health and welfare. Mm-hmm. Um, and then non-research-wise, uh, it's used in animal breeding and increasing the influence of available females. So, right. again, for females that are able to give birth healthily and survive the birth process, whatever, they'll, you know, the same way that you genetically modify and try to, you know, m- encourage a crop to grow a specific 
mm-hmm. type of plant that's strong. Yeah. You can do the same thing with cloning where you take the genes of a strong female and mm. do it. It's like, ideally that's going to have the same type of properties. Right. Um, and then one of the other questions was, are cloned animals generally as healthy as naturally conceived? Um, so this is that once cloned animals get past the first month or two, they're healthy. Okay. But within the first couple of months, you can have early pregnancy loss, um, early pregnancy loss and neonatal losses. So okay. it's kind of like if they make it past the first couple of months and they're fine, right. but there's still a higher rate of premature okay. losses. And that seems like it might be because the way that this, I don't even know what you'd call it. The way the process of kind of planting cloned embryos in a sheep, like I forget it. I forget how they did it with Dolly, but you either have to, kind of like this isn't just the same thing as implanting a a fertilized embryo into a a mother yeah this is actually yeah this is removing genetic material from one cell putting it into another cell from another mother in theory and then and then putting that back into a uterus or, or if it's already there then just leaving it there and letting it so it seems like that process itself would be where things would go wrong. So it makes sense that the early part, like if it, if it does survive that kind of the harshest part of the, the process of actually getting a cloned animal to be born, once it survives that, then things are going to be a lot smoother sailing. But that's the part where you have to kind of worry about it. And that's, that's why like cloning things is so expensive and so kind of tenuous right now because we're not we don't have that process down pat necessarily yet yeah yeah and this article also brings up stem cells and that's that's what you're trying to do is trying to kind of program a cell Mm -hmm. to be something based on dna yeah and and that's what cloning essentially does Mm. so right because in theory a lot of the cells in an embryo are stem cells before before they're specialized into whatever, whatever the yeah, animal is going right. to be. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Huh. I'm really glad to hear that because we didn't really hear like everything on the Dolly front was mostly quiet until this news came out. Yeah, it's good to hear that there's obviously. I think if you were paying paying attention to the cloning world, then you would have heard <laughs> other things. But right. us not being plugged into that world, we have to we have to rely on things sifting through. And I think even like CBC and like major news outlets did stories on this. But uh, yeah, seeing that, I'm going to have to go read that Q&A because it is, it's a really interesting story, just cloning in general and whether we'll see in the next 50 to 100 years, whether we'll see humans get cloned, whether we'll see more kind of animals closer to humans getting cloned. I think it's probably just a matter of time until, depending on whether laws making like apes and primates more human or we'll see. Either we'll see cloning become kind of more popular among a broader number of species, or we'll see more species kind of getting human-like rights. Uh, I think that'll determine whether we'll start to see more human-like animals getting cloned. Yeah. I'm looking forward to Jurassic Park in real life, <laughs> personally. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they were even, they were already talking about that when they find like the woolly mammoth yeah. DNA. Yeah. They're like, oh, you could like put this into an elephant and... They they could become they could be like the host yeah like birthing for the for the cloned mammoth 
I don't think, I think you watched the end of Jurassic Park. Oh, I did. <laughs> oh, I'm the, looking the, forward to it. <laughs> in, in that world, you wouldn't create the monster dinosaur that kills everything, but... I guess so. The other ones were fine. It's just they made a bad decision with their monstrosity. Are we talking about Jurassic Park or Jurassic World? Oh, I'm talking about Jurassic World. Because Jurassic Park still went pretty terrible. I, I haven't watched that one in a while if, if i've watched it at all I, I remember parts of it but yeah okay well i just it. remember i'm pretty sure newman got eaten <laughs> among other people right oh a lot of people got eaten yeah <laughs> well at that point it wasn't it wasn't an open theme park it was just they were going right. to visit on a research journey or right i don't even know what it was i again it's also been a long time since i watched it <laughs> i just remember very specific parts that made me think they made me not think, wow, this would be a good idea in real life. But see, that's the thing. Jurassic World made me like, wow, that'd be so cool. Yeah. But. Well, like, let's go to the Samsung with- Experience Center. <laughs> <laughs> why did you have to go and ruin it with the <laughs> monster dinosaur? Uh, the, wasn't it the monster dinosaur sponsored by Verizon? Like <laughs> that was a I whole think, yeah, I think funny thing with that. product placement in the movie. Oh, man. Yeah. Good stuff. So uh, how do you feel about going to uh, a little Facebook-style after show? Let's do it. Yeah? I'm down with that. Okay. Yeah. Well, for this week, I'll say thank you again for listening to Future Chat. You can head to unwindmedia.com slash futurechat to see past episodes of the show to learn a little more, more about your hosts. You can follow us on Twitter at underscore futurechatfm. We'll see you next month, that being September. Bye. Ciao. I almost said it wrong. I almost. (laughs) You almost said next week. (laughs) I almost said next week. Yeah. So, um, this is going to, this is going to be a lot of, this is going to need a lot of input from you, but not yet because I wanted to talk about Facebook and do you remember a few years ago? It literally was a few years ago now when they talked about this big design refresh for Facebook and it was going to look totally visually different. And like it even got into beta testing where there was a sidebar with a bunch of icons on it. Like it was much more visual. The photos took up like the entire width of the screen, uh, similar to what they do now, but, but like, I'll I'll try to find a link to it. Okay. Um, this was supposed to happen. It was supposed to roll out. And after months of beta testing and people actually having this design, it didn't ever go anywhere. It didn't actually happen. And, a lot of people, me included, were really disappointed because I was really excited about it. I'm going to give you this link. Um, I was really excited and it never actually happened. But the site did, and the mobile kind of looks like this now, but not not exactly. And the, they did take some design cues from this design, but they never actually went all out. And I was really excited to to see it and to see it happen. But this latest article that I'm that I was posting uh, is talking about Facebook Messenger's design. So for people who haven't used either Facebook Messenger, the app on mobile, or Messenger.com, which is the similar visual, like it looks like the Facebook Messenger app, but it's just like it's Facebook, but it's just the messages part. Um, Facebook.com now, as of this week, the the messages part, the chat functionality that used to look super ugly and like straight out of 2008 now looks like messenger 
for the most part. So the conversations look like Facebook Messenger conversations. The the color, like you can change the color, you can change the main emoji of a chat. Now that cha- those changes sync back to, and same with nicknames. You can also add nicknames in mes- Messenger group conversations. Those changes all sync. So like I have a group with a couple fr- with some friends here from Ottawa. The chat color is green. And so all everyone's messages look green uh, on facebook.com now in the chat window. The chat is themed green. Uh, you can change the emoji. So our emoji right now is a watermelon. That's reflected on chat. You can send GIFs. You can send pictures. You can send emoji. You can send links. Like you can, Or you can send attachments rather. All these things that didn't exist. The chat functionality on facebook.com used to be very basic. Now it looks much more like Messenger. Even the little pop-up windows. And... I'm just really excited because I love the way that mobile Facebook works. And Mike, you were saying that the only way you really look at Facebook now is on mobile. Yeah. And I think that people would use Facebook a lot more on desktop. If first of all, if the only time people use desktops wasn't at work, which I think is kind of the case these days, like adults really only use Facebook at work and kids don't necessarily have laptops now. Like basically everyone is using apps for things that aren't their actual business. Yeah. And, but I really think that people that do use these sites would really benefit from having the things look more like mobile. Like you don't need to do like, you wouldn't necessarily want your word processor or your graphic design tools or your, uh, like I wouldn't want Adobe audition, the thing that I'm using to record this podcast. I wouldn't want that to, to be less functional because it's looking like mobile. But when you're looking like, when you're looking at a thing like Facebook, there's not any kind of intense multifaceted thing you need to do with Facebook. It's connecting with your friends, posting things, reading posts, leaving comments. It's very basic stuff. And all that stuff can be covered by something as simple as a, as an app, like a a mobile type app where touch targets are big, where basically all you need to do is enter basic text and put things in. But they're kind of, Facebook is kind of left things very unchanged like obviously change is not great for most people like most people hate change and anytime facebook changes anything they just get upset so i get it but i think they could be tweaking things a lot faster than they are i don't know what what do you think about having all that stuff having been said honestly like i like you said as long as you're not losing functionality regardless whether like what you're trying to do like i don't like being able to do some things on desktop Mm -hmm. and other things on mobile, but not be able to do the same things on both. Like one of the biggest annoyances that I have with, uh, with mobile is you can't tag groups like pages, Mm -hmm. which is like, I, I still don't understand why there's no reason for that. But that frustrates me because there's times I want to tag a page and Mm -hmm. you can't, unless you're on, on browser like on a desktop so you either need to open up facebook on your phone in desktop mode Mm -hmm. in order to compose that post which is a horrible experience (laughs) or you get onto a computer and do it which is ridiculous because 75 percent of the time i'm not anywhere near a computer and i'm not going to go on a computer just to make one post just to take someone right so that's I'd rather see that fixed than see like design changes Mm -hmm. um and i only see that never like experience any difference in uh in usability or or even just 
design between right. browser and, and mobile because I don't use the desktop messaging. Yeah. And I rarely use the Facebook messaging except for like one or two contacts that more or less like strictly either strictly use Facebook messenger or that's the only like communication method I have between them. Right. Um, cause I don't either don't have their phone number or if I do, then we don't text. It's just Facebook messaging is yeah. easiest kind of, um, but like looking at looking at it now, I, I can see that it is different than than what it was, where it's closer to being the the app, which is yeah, yeah it's, it's nice. It's nice to have a consistent experience between the two the two platforms. So yeah, um, yeah. What what you said is is accurate. That whenever there's a change, people tend to not like it. Yeah, I don't think anyone ever says, "Wow, this is an amazing change." Great, <laughs> I do, but I'm the only one. <laughs> but even then, like, no, I do, I. I strongly do. If if it's a good, if it is actually a good change. Yeah, but I would argue most, unless it's removing functionality, most are good changes. Yeah. I'd be yeah. hard pressed to find a good example of, of something that was consistently getting worse with changes. Maybe not consistently getting worse, but I'm sure there's examples of a change made that was for the worse. Yeah. So. I mean, the Pokemon Go app, for instance. Well... <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's that's only gone downhill since it right. got released yeah actually that's not true because i have experienced a lot less freezes and hangs. right but that was the server since, not necessarily yeah, the, app. the server but yeah. anyway side thing <laughs> the uh the other thing like speaking of changes the you need to be able to expect if something works in one place, you expect it to work in every place. And if it does, if it works inconsistently, you can't really rely on it. And so using messenger.com as an example, if I'm on messenger.com, I can have voice or video calls with any individual person. Like that's a feature of uh, Facebook messenger. It's also a feature of messenger on the web, but if I go to have a voice group conversation like you can do on, on the, the messenger app, you can't initiate. And I'm not sure if you can answer a voice, a multiple person voice call on the desktop. And I don't really have any idea why that would be. Hmm. It doesn't make a ton of sense. And it's the same way on facebook.com. So you can't, you can't initiate or answer a multiple person uh, voice or video call but you can do it with individual people only on the desktop it does like it, it's very disjointed and it leads me to just not want to use it if someone right. else suggests using facebook messenger to talk i will but it's very inconsistent and weird like yeah. it just doesn't make sense well and that's one of the things that hangouts does well, Did well yeah is well it does because we're doing it right nah. now but yep <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Well, I know what you're saying. I know I know what you're saying and you know what I'm saying. The uh but <laughs> yeah, you, you can you can pretty much maintain functionality across different yeah. different platforms, mm-hmm. which is good. Um but yeah, I we'll see how if that changes with the the two the two new apps, Allo and Duo. Yeah. It will. Which, <laughs> did anyone remember spaces? Yep. Cuz that that anyway. <laughs> haven't heard from that in a while but spaces could have been implemented into communities very easily and just been <laughs> a feature of communities but they released a separate app and didn't yeah. do anything yeah so so see what allo and duo brings i've been using whatsapp a lot more with oh, uh, really with, 
with Maria, yeah, because Maria uses it with her family in Colombia. Okay. Yeah. And so I'm like, so I don't use Hangouts anymore. Right. I used to use it with Maria, but now it's like, well, she's already using WhatsApp with yeah. other people. I'm like, I'll just use WhatsApp because I only use Hangouts with you. I may as well only use WhatsApp with you. So, right. Um, so, and, and that interface, that one could use an update. It's very old looking. Yeah. WhatsApp, but. Well, I've, I've seen, I don't know if the Android app is the same way, but I've seen if you don't open the WhatsApp app on iOS for a couple days or, or a certain amount of time, you'll get a push notification saying, open the app to receive messages. That's oh, all it says. That's weird. <laughs> and like people are posting screenshots on Twitter of like getting eight or 10 of those in like half an hour. Just like it keeps saying, open us, open us, open us. That's weird. Yeah. Like very spammy and horrible. Huh? No, I haven't got that before. Yeah. But it, it's this is a bigger problem than any one app. And I have noticed that most of the people I communicate with, if they use an iPhone, I use a different, like I don't use iMessage or, or SMS. I use some other service. But most of the people that I communicate with are on Android. And mostly, there are a couple people on SMS, but mostly they use Facebook. Like Facebook for me is the main communication app I have now for most people. Hmm. I have no reason to use, like I use Hangouts with my parents, but that's mostly because they kind of forget what they tell me to use. Like my, my family, like my immediate family has started a Facebook group that nobody uses. They started a Facebook messenger conversation that I sometimes use, but nobody else really uses to start conversations. And then there's the Hangouts chat with all of us in it that that's where they tend to default to even though it's not the most recent thing that we've discussed doing like <laughs> right. it's mostly just forgetting where the chat is supposed to go right that causes people to use other services but messenger is the place where i've been pointing people to be like just send me a message there just do that don't do anything else right. i like how we've we've set up slack mm -hmm. with the different topics like between the three of us like I like that a lot better than just the one Hangouts thread that just changes yeah. randomly. It's like, like since we've all been playing Pokemon, like we have the one Pokemon thread going and yeah. it's great because anything that's Pokemon related goes in there. You can re refer back to prior Pokemon conversations within that same thread yep. and it's all there. Mm -hmm. And yeah, anything future chat related goes in the future chat one. It's, it's really good. If, if you have a group of friends that you're just constantly yeah. talking about various stuff. I I have a deep-seated hope that Facebook melds Slack-type functionality into groups. And uh, so I'm picturing a world where you can click on a group. Because I, I'm a member of several groups. I'm picturing you can click on a group and you'll have... There'll be a little sidebar or something that shows all chats associated with that, members of that group... And because the the only bad thing about Slack, other than its kind of substantial cost, if you want to use the full version, is that it's limited to people who have created an account on your team. And it right. means people have to go back to that app in order to talk to you. But if, if people are already using Facebook, if you could integrate all your chats across different groups into Messenger, and that's where you'd see everything... But you could also go into a little like section of Messenger where you'd have different groups and you could say, okay, I want to go into my group of friends and you tap friends and it would show you a list of all the chats with friends. 
And then you could start subgroups with just certain friends in that group, but you could have it publicly. A Slack-like functionality integrated properly into Facebook groups, I see as being the best of all worlds because everyone already has a Facebook account. I, I actually did some private testing with Facebook Messenger to see if it could work like uh, like Slack does using URLs as um, as ways to tie chats together. And it doesn't really work because you can't, like every user has an individual thread. Like if I go to my messenger thread would be messenger.com slash T slash Robert Attrell. I believe my name is just my user tag is just Robert Attrell, maybe mm-hmm. Robert dot Attrell. But if, if I send you to, if I send you a link to that, it will work on desktop, but it won't work on mobile. And I can send people links to threads. Like if I go to one of the group threads I have here, it just gives you like a 14 character string on the web that like it's messenger.com slash T slash bunch of numbers, whatever. Yeah. And it, and it will, if someone is a member of that group and I send them that link and they click on it, it will open that thread. Okay. And if you're not a member of that group, it won't. It will just 404 give some kind of... Right. It'll either send you like a message that says you're not a member of this thread or it'll say... It'll just kick you to the homepage of Messenger. And But again, on the app, it's not tied into work. And so if you tap on the link like that in the app, it'll just send you to the web and say this link is invalid or something like that. Okay. So it could work. And you like you can use URL scripts in order to push one messenger thread straight into another messenger thread. That is a thing that can be done, but it's not implemented currently. And so I see a future where messenger gets more on board with that. Facebook gets more on board with that. But right now, Slack, I see as the greatest thing for group messaging, where you're going to be sending messages within a certain subset of people. But there is a lot of friction involved in getting people who aren't necessarily as technically savvy or want to download an app to actually do that. Well, we actually reached a point where we, I'd say we, we had eight to eight active Slack Mm -hmm. users. Yeah. And the past couple of months have been three. Yeah. Well, and, (laughs) and I still like, I would have infinite slacks in order to send messages between like, it's basically our Slack is basically a future chat Slack now. Right. With a Pokemon thread, but that's fine. (laughs) Like I'm okay with that. It's still better for me than having a bunch of different threads with that group of three or four people. Right. And. Or one thread. Exactly. One yeah. thread or any number of threads. It's yeah. much better to have this con- self-contained thing, but it's really hard to explain that to people. Right. And people are very apathetic and don't necessarily want to have a new thing for each group of people. Yeah. That's why Facebook groups, like Facebook groups are very low energy to check. And when you go to Facebook, they're all there on the sidebar. You get notifications to Facebook. Like that's a place people check. So right. if, if it implemented just, if it implemented the exact feature set of Slack into Facebook groups, I would be, I would delete all my Slacks and I would just use that, but I don't hmm. know that they would do exactly that. And so I think Slack still has some kind of power, but that, that's what I want really. So in your ideal system, would you still have the channels, like the channel system? Yeah. You, so you, you could, you wouldn't have to, but you could. But you should be at that point, you're just renaming groups. Like, chat you, you groups, wouldn't, right? no, but because each group could have multiple channels. Each group could have as many channels as you wanted. 
but it would be like you the way it would have to see in messenger.com or in the app you'd have to see like name of if you wanted to view all threads you'd have to have like name of team dash name of channel if you wanted to have them all or you'd have to have a place where you can go and see all the teams you're part of to click on the teams and then you'd see a list of conversations for that group so the facebook system the groups are teams and then within each group is the channels the groups would each be associated with a team and the team would have a number of threads associated with it that are channels but they you could also it's another layer on top of messenger but it would work exactly the same way as messenger okay Except that you, you, in theory, if it was exactly the same as Slack, you'd also have like emoji reactions. You'd also have like timestamps for each. You'd have like links to any individual message. Like th- it would be a broader feature set, but it wouldn't be that much more work than Messenger already does for things because Messenger is very good. It's very feature complete for what it's trying to be, but it leaves out a way to easily go like with my group of friends in Ottawa. There's like 14 of us in the thread. Four or five people just never, ever send anything. They never talk. They just sit there and listen. Yeah. But I would love to have that rather than that one thread, which jumps all over the place topic wise. And if we wanted, if we want to plan a movie or something, anyone who's interested in seeing that movie just gets popped into a new thread, but it's not transparent. And there's no way to know that other threads are going on, even if they are inherently public, like public to the members of that group. Right. There's no visibility of it. And that's why I like Slack is that Mm. it's anyone can go see what's going on in the other channels, even if they're not actively paying attention or not getting notifications about it. Yeah. Yeah. Like Slack operates almost like a message board. Yeah. Versus like a chat. Yeah, exactly. But you can chat in it. Oh, for sure. And like, and that's kind of what the direct messaging is set up for, right? It's the best of all of it. Yeah. Oh, exactly. So that conversation got out of hand, <laughs> but I, I'm, I feel like it was very productive. Yeah. For people who have been following my story, I kept the iPhone SE. People should go back and listen to our episodes over the f- spring-ish where we talked about the iPhone SE and then we had our the special mini episode with, with Nick uh, doing an interview about the iPhone SE and then me, re- us, well, us rebutting that interview. The iPhone SE is amazing and I'm keeping it right here. <laughs> so, so this, that means, ooh, what color is it? Is rose it rose gold. gold? Nice. So you're not getting the, se- it was a seven you were holding out for, right? I'm, I'm personally keeping my options open. But y- uh, I thought you're keeping that though. I'm keeping it. I'm keeping, I want to keep my options. If it's amazing, I want to be able to get the seven, but I love this size and I love, like it's the right. newest one. There'd have to be some amazing feature. Like I'm giving up a couple different things to have this. I'm giving up optical video stabilization. I'm giving up the next generation of touch ID. I'm giving up uh 3d touch. Like there's a couple different things, pretty mm. substantial things that I'm giving up, but it's just the size is so nice. 3D touch is just like long pressing, isn't it? Similar, but it actually like you actually have to put pressure on the screen. Well, so you do with Android. Like, what do you mean? So are there two types of long pressing on iOS? There is a short. There's a if you long press on an icon very softly, like if you just tap your finger down on the screen, it yeah. will be a long press. If you press your finger down, it will tactilely respond 
and depress the actual icon and do a different thing. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah, it's pressure sensitive and actually it changes. People kept saying 3D touch. I'm like, that's just long press. Like, why do people keep speaking <laughs> it like a big thing? But yeah, okay, that, that makes more yeah. sense. Okay. All right. Well, uh, I guess we'll say goodbye for now and I'll, I'll see you in September. Go back to school. Wake me up when <laughs> September starts. <laughs> All right. Goodbye, broadcast. Goodbye, everyone. <clears throat> when you say everyone, there actually was somebody. Oh, good. <laughs> I liked, was it Nick that was saying that his dad usually watches the first part while we're talking about non-topics? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Because that's one way to catch up on your son's life. Yep. Son and his friends. I'm writing a thing right now that talks about, or at least it mentions the Dunbar number. And it's very similar to, to that idea. The of Dunbar like, number. The thing that you can only have 150 social relationships that you keep up with at any given time at most. 150? At most. I can't imagine me. Mine's like five. Mm-hmm. Mine's like, like I have maybe 10, maybe. Yeah. Depends on what your definition of keeping up with. Yeah. On a weekly basis, I would say it's more like, yeah, four. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's literally my yeah. number. It's like you they, guys. Yeah. And they were Maria. saying under high stress situations where there's a lot of social pressure, like if you're a caveman in a tribe of 150 people that you probably like Justin Trudeau probably has to keep up with 150 people weekly oh. or daily. Yeah. no it would it's not more than that though that's the thing is that no matter how you can't keep up with more than that like the cognitive right. load is too much even if that's all you're doing right and so yeah it's not really a surprise that we like for me there are people i have never met who i who are one of those people like cgp gray for me he is included in my right. dunbar number because i'm keeping up with what he's i doing. guess i guess if you can include those types then yeah it's probably closer to like yeah, yeah like eight then <clears throat> yeah but even then like if i tried to follow if I, I i could actually put it'd be actually kind of an interesting experiment to put internet personalities in your dunbar number right and then like i could start a facebook or not a facebook a twitter list including those people and like try to keep up with everything they post i think right. that would be overwhelming even if it was like just 50 people or 100 people right like no rss feeds from websites just people Mm-hmm. I think it would still be hard. I'm going to try that over the next month. <laughs> I'm going to leave this part this part in the show so that we can talk about it in a month. <laughs> I better write it down or I'm going to forget. <laughs>